Welcome to Salty Conversations, podcasts of Saltbush uniting the scattered community. This is number three in a series of six conversations in Christian community. Our guest today is the Reverend Simon Hansford, moderator of the New South Wales and the ACT Synod Uniting Church in Australia. I'm Jeff Wellington, one of the Saltbush community ministers. So welcome everybody to uh, Saltbush Cafe and uh, Conversations in Christian Community. It's good to have you along again and uh, we're looking forward to having conversations today with the moderator of the New South Wales ACT Synod, Reverend Simon Hansford. Just a reminder that a couple of weeks ago we had uh, Reverend Beck Lindsay along and we talked about uh, the Hebrew Scriptures and exile in particular and the sorts of things that we can learn from them. Beck reminded us about adopting a posture of listening and acknowledging and retelling stories and being open to the unexpected. Uh, that these are things that can help us to discover where and what Christian community might look like. Last week we had a great time with uh, Peter Walker, the principal of uh, United Theological College, and uh, Peter gave us a couple of um, triplets of ideas to remember. So he talked about relationship, community, and the hope of the gospel. And alongside of those things, a raising of the cup, a breaking of the bread, and the reading of the Bible. Mm. They're, I think, great captures of um, some things that we can keep in mind when we start to think about education and forming people to offer ministry into uh, Christian community in our present time and context. But today, today is uh, very exciting. Um, I'm sure we're going to run out of time today because there's so much to talk about, really. Um, our Synod um, is organised in a way that uh, we have a moderator and uh, it's very great to have Reverend uh, Simon Hansford along with us today uh, as part of uh, starting to shape, well, what does this, how does the Synod encourage Christian community to emerge into the present time? and into the future. Simon, uh, as you know, we like to start with um, getting to know people a little better. And so I wonder, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, some of your journey? Sure. Well, I um, uh, it, it's funny, I'm actually in Sydney right now. I came down on, on, uh, on Friday because my father-in-law has been in hospital. And so uh, you, the last three and a half months, I've been up, at, up in Tamworth at home and haven't left home. But uh, back down here in Gadigal country right now in, in Sydney, staying in Balmain with some friends of mine. Um, my, my background is growing up in Sydney and I uh, spent all my life there until like, my first placement, which was in Dubbo. And that was a big move for me and big move for us, but I never looked back and uh, have spent all our ministry in the regional area, in the region. So um, uh, Dubbo for a dozen years, then Queanbeyan for three, and then we were moved in a priority placement to the New England Northwest and spent seven years working for the Presbytery. And then uh, five years at Tamworth Southside before I started this gig, and uh, yeah, very much at home out in uh, out in the west and the northwest, and feel very comfortable there. Yeah, we've got two girls, Rachel and Miriam. Uh, Rachel's uh, working in her uh, third year as a doctor up at uh, Tamworth Base Hospital, and Mim's doing a masters in social work down in Wollongong. 
And uh, Fiona, my wife, works in a, a school for special kid, needs kids in, in Tamworth at Belimble, and uh, she's a teacher's aide there. So, yeah, a good mixture of folk in our family, and, uh, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Owen. It's, uh, it's, I think it's always makes it easier to uh, start to have a conversation, and we know a little bit about each other and um, part of our journey. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit, a bit of an overview of what the role of the moderator actually is. Um, most of us uh, don't ever get to experience that. So, tell us a little bit about what's, what's, what's your life like as moderator? What are you supposed to be doing? Well, it's interesting. Since um, since the COVID thing happened, when we've been a I mean, it's much more ordered life. It's been much more, you know, meeting after meeting, time after time and stuff. And uh, one of the things I've missed terribly has been incidental conversations eh, where you bump into someone in the street or the shops or in the office or the synod building or whatever, and that hasn't been happening. So it's been a very ordered life, which is not um, the, the normal way I live. But um, the, the role of the moderator um, at its best, at its purest, is um, to be in the middle. Uh, the word moderator comes from the word being in the middle rather than being moderate. And um, in the, the middle is between the, between the church and the leadership of the church or parts of the church and other parts of the church or the church itself and the wider community and helping both to have those conversations. So my task is to help articulate and engage with all these different places and different parts of the life of the church and provide leadership in that way. Um, and sometimes, often, it's it's a role of once again, in the purest sense, the role of a minister, which is to um, remind the church who it's called to be and who we're called to be in terms of our understanding of faith and the world and how we are offering the gospel in word and deed in the life of the, the, life of the world around us. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really unique um, place you stand, isn't it, Simon, because you, you get yeah. to hear and experience and talk into all these sorts of places right across our synodists. And, and then, of course, um, interfaith-wise, like with the other mm. denomination, Christian denominations and and um, inter, interfaith, like the other faiths. Yeah. Uh, and, and that really gives, I think, a, a great perspective on sort of where the church is and, and what's happening. It's interesting, working, working a lot of the time in Sydney, there's a lot of tension in Sydney in some parts of the, of the Christian church. So um, tension or discomfort sometimes, and I am... Um, I find it fascinating that I actually have a far easier and simpler relationship a lot of the time with the Jewish community and the Muslim community in, in Sydney than I do often with the other denominations of the United and the Anglican, Catholic and other churches, which is a bit, bit sad, but uh, um, certainly there's a very good interfaith uh, relationship and with the um, Orthodox churches, a very good relationship as well. But uh, it's an interesting space to be in. Just the other night, about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, I actually was the MC for a, an iftar dinner during Ramadan um, with the World Council of Churches and uh, interfaith community was fantastic. Yeah, really. Yeah, that's right. So, Simon, I wonder whether you could give us a bit of a, a broad brush overview of from from the way you stand about where, where's the Uniting Church come from and where have we landed in, at, the, at this point in time? It's, it's funny. I was talking to um, somebody new in the life of the Synod recently and they were asking me... Um, have I always been part of the Uniting Church? And my answer is I was actually confirmed um, in in July 77. So, I mean, I'm sort of a baby of the Uniting Church and uh, yeah. and have a, a checkered and eclectic history before that in terms of the love of the church. But um, certainly uh, the, the, the Uniting Church, I think, at, once again, at its best, 
is a real sense of hybrid vigor of three tr- traditions of faith coming together and and finding and finding their way together into a new model of church. That isn't always the experience. I mean, often what we find in congregations is, you know, I, I remember a congregation once they said we asked the other churches to come and join us, and this sense of it, it can be a bit of a limping relationship sometimes. And I think um, there's a, that, an ongoing challenge for the Uniting Church. I, I think we have a we have a really high expectation of what union was going to be, um, and that hasn't always been realised. But at its best, we do have this marvellous sense of engagement from a whole lot of different traditions, including the three that form the Uniting Church. This morning I was at Leichhardt, well, with Leichhardt this morning in worship, and their background is incredibly diverse, uh, which is wonderful. It isn't just uniting or the, the three main streams before that, but a whole range of different traditions, all of whom I think everyone I spoke to this morning apart from one person has been born since union. So there's a different sort of flavour to a lot of our congregations. It's, it's changed um, the nature of the church quite a lot, hasn't it, since 1977? Like it, yeah. There's so many people now who've never experienced anything else and you know, we've been enriched so much by being becoming a, a much more multicultural church, even though we still struggle with some of that um, and the covenant with, with Congress. And, like, it's become such a more diverse, more rounded church in that time. Yeah, I, I, th- I think there's a, there's, a, there's a slippery illusion that it slides around the place about the church having things completed. And I think, um, and I think the more uh, the longer term traditions of the Anglicans and the Catholics perhaps have this sense of things being bettered down. And I think that's that can be an illusion. I think the idea of reconciliation, the idea of covenant, is not a fixed thing, but it's a thing we work on and will work on forever. I think the idea of being a multicultural church will always have new flavours to it because there'll always be new folk coming into that expectation, and. The more we explore what it means to be multicultural, the more we're going to learn how different voices speak into that space. I met a, a few years ago a lady who'd been born in, in, in communist China with no concept of what God might be. To have a conversation about being part of a community of faith is an entirely other conversation than with a Buddhist or a Hindu or a person from a, a Muslim background. So it's, it's, a, it's a multicultural means, an ongoing conversation, rather than one we do and fix and say, well, that's done, let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. So, Simon, one of the other questions we like to ask people is, well, what have you been, what influences have you had in your life that have shaped, you know, how you think about Christian community and, and, and the church? Well, I, I want to say in the best sense of that, I think that um, in many ways the idea of what community looks like used to be a particularly rural question. I don't, I don't know that question was ever asked in my experience growing up in the city, but I think it's a really wonderfully rural question about what's community looked like and how do we understand ourselves. Um, and f- for me, uh, perhaps the thing that has, well, there have been so many different influences, but what's influenced me has been since I was ordained, working in, in the communities in a much more engaged, con- congregations in a much more engaged way, and um, I, I, I think I think it's probably fair to say that when I that when I started in ordained ministry, the last vestiges of what the church used to be like would just begin to, to crack and fall off. 
and we're in a very different space now to what we were expecting when we we formed union in the, in the 1970s about what church and what they call Christendom was like. Um, for me, what is perhaps most influential in terms of my understanding of community isn't necessarily the gathered congregation that's really important to me. It's those gathered groups within the congregation, whether they're small groups or Bible study or whether they're groups that are formed in terms of a particular need. So, for example, when I was in uh, working in Dubbo, for example, we had a bereavement support group whose task was to put people in grief. And that was a very effective group in terms of my understanding of ministry. But in terms of uh, working in Queanbeyan, one of the groups that formed my thinking was a group that worked with homeless men who were um, homeless for a, a number of reasons, some of them crime-based, and working in that sort of space. So there's a, a range of reasons about how I understand what community is about. I think I used the word illusion before about other things. I think one of the illusions that we have too is that congregation should be large, whatever large might mean, when in actual fact throughout the Christian world, 50 is about... Yeah. A, a normal size for a church rather than hundreds of. I mean, it's important to have large congregations too, but I think 50 and smaller is is a far more normal way of understanding community of faith than the very big ones. Yeah, it's it's very family-based, isn't, isn't it, in that way? Like we can, you can actually <laughs> know 50 people, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. 100, 150, 200 people. It's very difficult to maintain that network of relationships, isn't it? Yeah, and I, and I have a real, you know, I don't know if I mentioned one of my hobby horses, Jeff, about the word family. Um, you know, we talk about congregations being families. Families aren't very good at new people. When your daughter brings home the new boyfriend, it isn't easy to welcome him into the family. Or when, or when um, you know, we're asked to change how we do Christmas, that doesn't actually work terribly well, you know. And um, when people say, I'd like to move the chairs around or, you know, does grandpa always have to behave that way when they ask the questions that doesn't always work terribly well. And I think congregations can become like families. Like we have this settled way and crazy old Frank in the corner. He's always been crazy old Frank in the corner and he should actually get challenged sometimes about his behavior. And we don't do that very well. Whereas a community, I think can be more rigorous and a bit more, um, uh, not confronting, but can be challenging in that space where families just go, Oh, well, yeah. that's grandpa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it helps us. It helps us, doesn't it, to to have that little bit of relational distance, if you like, that yeah. families might bring. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but part of community then actually is to have those fierce conversations, isn't it? Really, it is. Yeah, and I think that's that's the challenge of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, Simon, you talked a bit about country versus city sort of um, senses of community, and I, I wonder now. If, sitting as uh, the moderator what what do you see as different or or similar i suppose um in, in those sort of two contexts in the rural as opposed to the metropolitan yeah. you mean jeff yeah yeah i i i think we, we we've, been, we've been talking in the synod recently about all about culture and i think that's a really important conversation or a series of conversations to be having i think one of the interesting things about culture is often you just accept it. You know, it's, it isn't a conscious decision about culture, you just accept how things are. So, for example, um, I remember when there were some difficult conversations in the church a long time ago, um, and one of the conversations, one of the comments was, well, it's all very well and good in the city. You go to worship on Sunday and you see your people in worship on Sunday and that's it. But in the, in the country, when you go to church on the Sunday 
But you also see them at Bowls on Tuesday. You see them at RSL on Wednesday. You see them at CWI on Thursday. You see them at Red Cross on Friday. You see them down the shops on Mondays and Saturdays. It, it, it's a different sense of what it means to belong to each other. And I think it's a different kind of conversation. It wasn't a better or worse. It's a different implication. I think, um, I think, it, I think there's a sense too in the country as a general rule. I make it it's a general rule that people will, um, there's a sense of, more to do than just simply attending, where I think um, my experience of growing up in the city was uh, you, you went to worship and that was an important event, but there wasn't much else to go around around the outside of that. And I think um, when I attend city events, which I really enjoy, having a morning tea is a big event where I think in the country it's what we do. It's a more normative kind of conversation. Um, yeah. But, I, but at the same time, too, I think that the blessings of Sydney city ministry are quite different and quite challenging and to, com- to compare the two is quite difficult. I remember a colleague of mine moved to the city for a placement and he said to me, he rang up and he said to me, no one's home during the day. Yeah. They've all gone to work. Yeah. You know, so the suburb where he was working, which he, and he really, the congregation was fantastic, but they all went off to work during the day. There was nobody home during the day where I went in the country, there were, there were community events to be happening in that space where you also led, led worship. And I think he had to really adjust how he thought about ministry and making contact and building relationships and things. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I think, too, uh, in the rural space, um, we perhaps need to um, be a bit more conscious of our boundaries, if you like, um, yeah. because we also have to trade with each other and we're dependent upon each other in a... Um, in a physical and social and an emotional sort of a sense as well and to yeah. fracture a relationship because you disagree about this or that yeah. uh, is a different way of actually relating to each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember I mean, when I was in Dubbo, the um, council were going to open pubs up till three in the morning and our church wanted to strike very strongly a comment about that. And the Catholic priest said to me, it's all very well and you for you Protestants, he said. I've got, four, I've got four publicans in my congregation. He said, it's all very well and good for you, but how are we going to do that? You know? yeah, yeah. And I think you know, there's are, there are some hiccups in that space. You know? yeah. So, Simon, you know, in, from your sort of place where you stand, hmm. do you, how do you see this challenge around forming Christian community in this sort of space that we found ourselves in as a church? What are what are the the bits that rub against us a bit, and we're sort of challenged about? Uh, it's, if I was going to make a blanket comment, which is which is unhelpful and wrong, if I was going to make a blanket comment, I'd say I think we had to shift gear considerably into this space, and a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. But I want to say to as a, as a as a hinge question at the comment at the beginning, I live out of town, out of Tamworth. Um, we're on five acre blocks out of town. There are two two couples who live within a stone's throw of our place who've come along to worship, some through Saltbush and, and sometimes through other, other aspects, who never came to worship when I was working at Southside in Tamworth, never came to worship, and they asked me to come into worship online since the COVID-19 thing happened. And they felt comfortable and they felt welcome in the space and they enjoy being part of it. And they tell me that. And... They wouldn't have asked me to come to worship when I was at Southside, but they asked me online. I think there's a whole new space about community and, and capacity for community that we hadn't considered properly that COVID-19 and the consequences of it have brought up for us. I think that's a really important conversation. I think um, 
how we do these things is very different. So uh, the fact is I see far more people during a week online than I would if I was live face-to-face with people. Given that, I want to say really clearly, I like being with people. (laughs) I like sitting in a room, having a cup of coffee, having a beer, having a sandwich. I really, really like that and I really, really miss that. And I think I miss the conversation you have at the end of the meeting that you don't have at the end of the Zoom because the Zoom switches off. I miss all those aspects of relationship that we aren't forming as easily and as well because of the whole Zoom space. But I do want to say really clearly too that I think what COVID-19 and the consequences of it with this kind of thing have revealed to us are a whole lot of different ways of being in community and relationship that we didn't have before. I know a woman who says to me she can now come to worship. She has a disabled son. She can't get to worship. She can now come to worship and he sits quietly in the house and enjoys himself and it's fine and she can come to worship and be part of that. And if we ignore the reality of those people, we are missing, missing things drastically. So I think how we understand community needs to shift, has always needed to shift, but this has proved it to us, you know. I think too... um there's something about the accessibility and the comfortableness about joining a community online, like as you've just talked about, um, that speaks to me about the place of the church in the general society and yeah. the uncomfortableness that pe- some people feel anyway about walking into a church building yes. and what yeah. that actually says to them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think in the country, there, as we all know, there's a whole lot of stuff that hangs around that as well. You know, um, if you've been in the country for a couple of generations and you're sat in the same place, there are stories around the churches and the properties and the experiences and the people within them that are very much a part of that story. It's absolutely, Jim. I think um, uh, I talked this morning about the, the sloganeering language of politicians about Team Australia, and Team Australia basically says it's people like us. Whoever, whoever us is, it's people like us. And the gospel isn't about that at all. The gospel's about everybody, how we embrace and welcome everybody. And Paul goes so far in Corinthians to say the parts that are weakest and least able and least respectable, we spend most time and honour on them. And I think it's a different, it's, it's, a, it's a reversal of how the world and the community around us does stuff. But we do have a great, there are lots of, there are lots of threads hanging off things and people who can come to worship now wouldn't have come to worship before. And, there, and, and our immediate gut response is, but we're friendly and welcoming. That isn't the point. The point is people don't feel like they can come and now feel, they feel like they can. Yeah. And, of course, the church has been challenged um, through, you know, the, the Royal Commission into Sexual Abuse and, and those sorts of things. So the perception of the church yeah. and, uh, and, you know, people's lived experience of the church often isn't as that positive either. Yeah. Well, I mean... Um, yeah, uh, w- when we had the marriage conversation you know, a couple of years ago and I was doing some pre-conversation stuff, one of my points was talk to people in the community about marriage and same-sex marriage and the church and what they think, you know. And part of my part of the, part of the, the report that I brought to people as a casual thing was, you know, I talked to my hairdresser and she was part of she was married to a guy as part of a family where there'd been multiple multiple abuse by a Catholic priest, and she said the church has got to hide having an opinion about my life and my children's lives, yeah. and I think she was a very normal respondent to that conversation. And I think there's a whole range of issues in the community 
that are there. And we're drongos if we think that um, that doesn't actually sit heavily in the world around us. And there are people in the church who think that it doesn't, and they're just simply wrong, and they're being stupid. The fact is there are lots of wounds that are in the community, and abuse is just one of them. Um, and we need to be really clear about how we attend to those things. Like multiculturalism, it takes time and time and time, and I want to say, and lots of repentance. Yeah. Yeah, as well. So perhaps we can just shift gear a little bit now sure. and start to think about, um, you know, where where do you see some hopeful signs of Christian community emerging across the Synod that you might be able to talk to us about? Well, that was in the blow up your skirt, Jeff. I think um, Saltbush is a good example of that. I think Saltbush is a, good, a fine example of how community can look that's different. Um, and I want to say the first time I joined Saltbush, um, was, it, was it Good Friday? Good Friday. Okay. And... The whole bunch of you uh, had in this Maggins conversation just like morning tea after church. It was just, we were sat out having a yarn and everyone's hurrahing each other across the space. And I thought that was a, it was a lovely experience of, of um, breaking down the tech walls that exist in this sort of space. Um, I, think there, I think this is a good example of things that when it, when it can work well, it's like church, worship space. Some worship spaces can be identical in terms of appearance, appearance and some work well and some just don't. This one uh, seems to me to work well. I think um, what's happening when it's working well too in this online space at the moment is congregations and communities of faith that haven't just taken their normal Sunday worship and cut and pasted it and put it online. I think when people have tried something different, that's working quite well as well. And I think um, I think there's a sense too in some places, in some communities of faith, where people have realised perhaps the core of worship let me rephrase that. Perhaps the worship isn't the only core thing they need to be doing. And I think that the Saltbush Cafe, there are congregations and communities of faith that are working on a whole lot of other things other than worship to build the community space. People can have access. I know one rural minister does um, some kind of poem reflection during the week, some kind of artwork imagery during the week to engage people in the community outside the worshipping congregation and trying to make contact that way. Um, I think. There are congregations who have seen this as an opportunity. There are some that haven't, and I can't make them see that it's an opportunity. But the reality is, yeah, okay, I'll say this. The reality is that COVID hasn't created cracks. It's just revealed them. The cracks in our congregations, most of them were there before this happened. We just get to see them now. The fact is that I had a woman the other day telling me how awful the, te- the telephone is, how impersonal it is. And I'm thinking, flipping heck, you know, like <laughs> you can't go and visit. The phone's pretty good, you know, and she was trying to find any reason to complain about a circumstance. And the reality is if we'd had this thing 10 years ago, we wouldn't have been on Zoom, folks. We'd have been writing each other letters or sending emails, you know. That's right. yeah. So and I, and I think, I think too what's happened for us is that we've become very comfortable, and this is not a rural thing, it's city as well, with a bunch of folk with whom we meet on a Sunday morning usually in worship. This is asking questions about that. And suddenly there are people turning up on our Zooms and other things who aren't part of that crowd, and we are attending to them, and most of us are doing it well, and I I don't think we can go back to the way we were. 
And if people want to, I'll be saying to you as moderator, I'll be discouraging you from going back to the way you were. Okay. So, Simon, <laughs> what, 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 are the, what are the key points, if you like, that we need to pay attention to? Like, you know, there's always some things that we can emphasise, if you like, because we can't, we can't think that suddenly the whole church is going to move uh, 180 degrees uh, or change that way. But so what are the things we need to pay attention to as a church um, and what can the Synod help in that sense of, of starting to help us to pay attention to things that encourage Christian community in new and adaptive sorts of ways like you've talked about? Well, I want to say, first of all, I want to give you permission to try stuff out. I don't want you to come and ask me for permission. I want to give you permission before you start. Do something different. Try it out and give it a shake. If it doesn't work, you need some resources for it, come and ask us. But I talked to a bunch of ministers the other day. Um, they came out of college around the same sort of time together, and they're from a whole lot of different presbyteries, some rural, some not. And I said to them, what if you formed a virtual parish? The language is clumsy, so ignore the language. A virtual parish. where you decided for yourselves, we have to do four or five different things that are new here. A lot of it's online. What if we resourced each other so that we don't have to produce worship every Sunday online and pastoral care and small groups and teaching and children's talks and a whole pile of things together? What if we actually worked as a parish used to work in terms of sharing that kind of load? And I said to them, I said, what do you want us to do? I said, no, no, no. I'm not telling you what to do. I said, that's my idea. Off you go. Go and play. Don't bother me about it. Just go and play. And I think that's part of the challenge for us is that Synod's like Egypt. People want to say how bad Egypt is and how lazy Egypt is in the, in the Old Testament. It's lousy, da 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 But when, was it, when there was a fountain, where did they go? When Jesus was at risk, where did they go? They go to Egypt. Synod's like Egypt. We, we want to provide you the resources that you need. We don't want to get in the way. We want to have the resources and go and do the thing and try it out. Give it a shake. But for heaven's sake, don't fall into the trap of thinking um, Synod hasn't given us permission to do those things. We have. And we, we, it isn't our role anyway. It's the role of the presbytery to do that and the congregation to shape its own life under the guidance of God's spirit. Go try it out. Give it a shake. And I think if you want us to help you with that or to resource you with that, give us a call. But don't give us a call for permission. Give us a call to say, we're trying a new thing. How might this work? Is that an okay answer, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> It will be interesting to see what other people think. There's, there's not much chat happening on the side. Yeah, what so, permission did you mean by that? <laughs> that's right. So, you know, come on, folks, um, get on the chat and uh, start to uh, put your input in there. We're, we're running out of time and there's still quite a bit to go. But um, um, So, um, Simon, I, I we talked last week a little bit about... Um, movement and institution and organisation and mm. you, you sort of touched on that a bit, I think, just now in, in that sense. Yeah. And um, We worked a fair bit on this when I was in Canberra Region Presbytery too. Like, mm. There's this balancing act, isn't there, between um, movement and the vitality that comes with movement and keeping us safe in, in, the, in the structures and the processes that that hold us there. But it, it seems to me that we, as a church, we need a big dose of movement um, back into us um, because the, the structural stuff 
seems to have um, almost constrained us. And, and some of that's internal and some of it's external to the church. But I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, um, about the church's movement and, and institution structure. There's been a lot of cognitive dissonance, hasn't there, and over the years about being a pilgrim people that don't do anything new or have don't move anywhere different. You know, we're pilgrim people, but we sort of like being parked right here. Um, I, th- I think, I, I, well, we've said it about a number of things in our community over the last three months, but it's funny how fast we moved when COVID-19 required of us, how fast we shifted gear, how fast we found new ways of doing stuff, which I think is really good. And not all of those things have been good. I mean, the funerals and weddings and worship, you want, you want to be present together in that space. But the idea of doing a whole lot of other things, um, for example, we've been meeting with leaders of presbyteries regularly over the last three months, building relationships. We wouldn't have done that without this. We're meeting with leaders of the parish missions, Jane, Jane, John, Jane and Broman and I, meeting with parish mission leadership over the last three months which we've never done before. Heaven knows why we haven't done it, but we've done it. And I've been meeting with ministers regularly just for pastoral care conversations. And I think I've now met with 75 ministers over the last three months face-to-face for an hour just to see how they're travelling. None of that would have happened if COVID-19 hadn't forced this on us. It should have happened, but now it does. And I think the reason I'm mentioning that to you is not to say how hard we're working, but to say... We're building relationships, and relationships build trust, and trust builds movement. Yeah. You know, there's a quote from West Wing, one of my favourite TV shows, where it says, you know, what's a leader when no one's following? It's just a guy taking a walk. Yeah. You know, so I could say perfectly well and perfectly right, we should go that direction. If no one trusts me, no one's doing anything. Yeah. But if we had conversations that build relationship and build trust and build experience of trust, the chances are of us knowing where people want to move and move in that direction are stronger. I mean, you all know the best sermons are when you think the sermon's speaking directly to you. And the best preachers do that when they've actually talked to you for weeks and months before the sermon, so when they're actually preaching, they actually are speaking directly to you. The best leadership is the same thing. We've spent time in conversation with people across the church and people think they're known and trusted and they know and trust us and that's how we get some movement going. It's not by Simon Hansford saying, wacko, we're heading off in this direction. Everyone just says, we'll see you. When you come back, tell us how it was. You know, I think that's how we're going to get somewhere. And I, and I, I think by building those relationships, we want that to be reflected by presbytery leaders with congregations building relationships. I think those sort of things are probably a helpful way forward. And I'm talking too much, so I'll stop. Yeah. So, and, you know, that's possibly the gift of this space, isn't it? That we, it's actually pushed us to use the technology that actually is available to us and to be yeah. more intentional about how we nurture the relationships that we actually do have. Yeah, I agree entirely. And I think, I think the mistake would be for this to become the new culture because then we'll just bog this down. Mm. We actually have to have these things complementing each other. I want to go back to worship with other people physically in the same space, but we can't leave this behind because those who can't get to worship need to be included as well. We have to find a way of both ending this, not either oaring this, and I think that's important. But at the same time too, 
I had a long conversation with my supervisor during the week. I go walking in the mornings early and there's a lass who walks past me in the mornings who says hello and then carries on. And she attends a Pentecostal church in town. I had to use the word Pentecostal because it sort of makes a label, but I mean, it's that, the more charismatic style of worship stuff. Fascinating lass, big church. And she's saying, oh, we're going back to worship soon. And I said to her, well, you know, you can't sing. You can't stand close to each other. You can't have communion, but you can gather together in small groups of 50 or so. She said, we can't sing. She said to me, so it'll only be the sermon. <laughs> I said, yeah, <laughs> and some praying. And she went, oh, she's, fan- she's, a great- she's a great person. Oh, she said, I don't know if I'd go if there wasn't singing. And so the conversation that I had with my supervisor was, well, what are those things that are necessary for Christian community and worship that make it valuable to us? And if we can't sing, and if we can't have communion the way we used to have communion, and we can't sit side by side, what's it mean for us to be in that space? Are there better alternatives for us? And that is, I haven't got the answers for you. I'm just sort of talking about it in terms of, you know, how do we do this thing? And the question then, of course, arises, well, what's the minister for? Whether it's a pastor or a minister of the word or a deacon, what's the minister for if we aren't gathering in worship in that way? What's their task? I want to say I think it's a really critical series of tasks for the minister of the word, but if we think it's only about worship, then we've dumped a large chunk of their role and their calling and their ordination on the side of the road and moved on, and that's a mistake for us. There needs to be a rethinking about how we engage in this space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, uh, to me, that's ex- that's an exciting space, like because it, oh, yeah. it opens up the possibilities of, of what that relationship looks like and the, the way in which people can come together to... Uh, be disciples of of Jesus in in this space, surely. And I think what we need to be careful of, and I'm aware of the time, so maybe people need to ask me some questions, and it's not just you and me, Jeff, though I quite enjoy talking to you, is that reflexive response, oh, we couldn't do that, or if we do, that'll happen, yeah. rather than giving it a shake and seeing where God might lead us. So, so yeah, let's, let's start to move to some questions, conversations. So, so there's been some chat on the side there. Um, uh, quite a bit about movements and um, virtual parishes and things. I, I'm not sure about the, the parish um, idea. I, I'm not sure whether that's uh, helpful for us or not. But I, I do think networks, um, thinking about it as far as networks is concerned, is a helpful way to think about it. Yep, too. Sure. Just just like when you started off saying, you know, there's the uh, there's this group or that group that form community, uh, not just the whole. Um, that those network, those natural networks that we have, um, is a good way uh, and a, you know, an emerging way, if you like, of people making connection across a whole range of different spaces. And geography no longer plays quite as uh, um, restrictive role as it did before. Yeah, I'm the first person to say virtual parish is a very clumsy language and unhelpful, but I thought the idea was yeah. it's worth. Tinkering with, yeah, yeah. Okay, folks. Um, yeah. So let me just comment on um, salt. There was a question about whether Saltbush is a, a virtual parish. Um, I don't think it's actually a, a virtual parish because that creates some other problems for us uh, in the way in which we structure our church. But it is a net. I think it is. I think about it in terms of a network. 
that moves across the boundaries and can be quite fluid and respond to wherever it needs to emerge. So, um, okay, so let me unmute people. And um, who'd like to have a go at asking a question or making a comment for us? Anybody itching to have a have a go? Anybody? I will, yes. Thanks, Faye. Surprise, surprise, Faye. Yes. Other forms of Aussie worship other than barbecues, can you think of any examples that people have used? Oh, you mean me? Oh, you're asking generally, sorry. Um, uh, I don't know if I know any particular examples that are specific, but others might, yeah. Can I chip in? Sure yeah. can. Um, we're looking at starting a walking church and we feel we're, we're only a small congregation of about 12 and there's only three or four of us that would be able to take part in the walking church, but we have some people in the community who come and help us out at functions and things and we're thinking they might uh, come and join in with us, um, extend an invitation to them and we'll... Um, have a um, like the lectionary or something Bible verses or a topic for the day for the walk and we'll walk to specific places and stop along the way and talk about things along the way as we come to and we can do that as um, as a group because we can distance ourselves to be able to do it and Neil Reed gave us an example of this at our last year's Riverina Presbytery, and it was really great. Okay, um, thanks, Maura. Julie, Julie Gregg was had our hand up earlier. Julie? Um, yeah, look, I, I was just going to say, I think when we're, when we're looking at where we go in the future of this and we look at, you know, we have this discussion about... Um, how good Zoom is, but how good face-to-face -face is and all the rest of it. I think that we need to, how it works will be different depending on how scattered people are. So in a Sydney Presbytery, when they can start meeting together, that's one. But what we do know is that in our rural presbyteries, travel is an enormous, enormous issue. It costs time and it costs money and it wins people out. And so, and particularly in the Macquarie Darling, which I think has the distinction of being the largest presbytery, um, travel is a massive issue. So if we don't absolutely embrace some of this stuff, um, because we have people that don't want to travel three hours to a meeting, sit in a meeting for five hours and then travel three hours home. Um, so we exclude some of the older people who are not up to a day like that. And we exclude some of the younger people who other, have other things to do than spend to go to a meeting. So I think that we need to be really careful about how we mix the virtual and the face-to-face -face and that we match it to the circumstances that we're in rather than just going, oh, well, now we can all do face-to-face -face or now we can all do Zoom. Like it just, it has places. And just recently Orange Church put on um, Bill Loader's um, series of on the... Um, uh, Sermon on the Mount and um, enormous numbers of people there 
that were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometres apart, um, which is just extraordinary. We, we need to be using it for things like teaching and, you know, all that sort of stuff because now we've worked out that we can do it really easily and it can really work. Thanks, Joey. Denise. I have, to, I have to support Julie in that, but I raised my hand to say to Myra, I think Springwood Uniting Church often runs a walking church, not on a Sunday, and I think that's some of the beauty that we have to start yeah. thinking about too is it doesn't have to be Sunday morning from 9.30 till 11. So it might be worth contacting them to see the sorts of things they do and how they organise that, where they go and how they think about it. But yeah, while, yeah. I think. Yeah. No, we weren't thinking this was going to be different to church on Sunday. We weren't doing it on Sunday, yeah. I love the idea of a walking church, really. Mm. Mm, I do too. So a couple of people have raised then the issue about access and um, who who's missing out um, in this space. And perhaps this is this is an area as a church that if this is going to become a vital part of of creating and encouraging Christian community, then how do we actually support people who don't necessarily have ready and easy access to online sorts of sorts of things as well? Can I can I be a bit narky right now? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good question, but I don't know that we asked that question about before online. <laughs> I don't think we asked the question: How do we provide access to people who can't get into church? because the arcane liturgy or the structure of the way we do things or how friendly we are. I think we've asked the question now. I think it's a really important question, but I think we hadn't asked the question before, which is why I've got four neighbours who are knocking on the, on, the, on the online door to come into worship who didn't find their way when I was the minister of the congregation up the road. I think it's an interesting conversation. I think it's a really, really important one. I think Julie's point's really well made. I just want to say... Don't ask the question because you have friends who are uncomfortable with online. Ask the question about how we engage people in the life of the worship community. Thanks, Simon. Simon, I'd have to agree with you there that the notion of inclusive being everything we offer is available for everybody at all times is yes. not what inclusive means. Absolutely. It's about actually going, offering multiple options so that people are able to connect in some way. That's actually not leaving anyone out. Absolutely, Denise. Excellent. Mm. Really good. So, Jen Pera, would you like, you had your hand up? I did have my hand up, but it's it. I was just going to support Julie and say I thought we needed to find some way of providing resources to people who don't have Zoom access. Yeah, it's a good, that's really good. I've got to think about. And, 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 and speaking for someone who's on Zoom all the time, <laughs> the thrill's <laughs> kind of gone. <laughs> oh, I don't want to be on Zoom at night time at the moment. I just want to Zoom, um, zoom out. Your life's <laughs> worse than mine, Denise. I don't want your time. <laughs> uh, but we found in Bathurst that a lot of people had an old iPad or an old tablet or something in the cupboard that they were no longer using mm. that we sourced and we got out to other people and we taught them how to use it. And so yep. we, we've had a, a, a tremendous uptake um, because we... we we intentionally tried to focus every single person unless, and there were a number of them, went, go away, I'm not doing this, that's fine. But we were really intentional about getting every, as many people as we possibly could. You taught, just taught, sounds exciting. 
Can I, can I write something too? I think that, that's rising for us too, Julie. Is I've, I've talked before, you've heard me talk about this before, about the idea of water holes, not fences, about congregations. What this is doing is it's getting rid of a whole lot of fences that we were used to yeah. and saying, I can go to worship in London if I want to on a Sunday morning. I have folk, we had a person today at Leichhardt who's part of the congregation who isn't currently in Florida worshipping. Yeah. The boundaries are shifting and suddenly people can worship where they might like to worship. It's in a different kind of space. What's it mean for us to be involved in this what you, networking community, which is different to what it was before? I have a member of my congregation from Tamworth Southside from the past who goes to three services a Sunday now one locally and two not locally, and she's enjoying them. And I know today she's also kind of comparing them a bit, you know. <laughs> What's it mean for us to be in that space where things are shifting a bit? Um, a colleague of mine says, do we get competitive or do we say we're actually parts of the body working this thing out together? How do we do this? And it's, one of, it's finding one of my, that fit, isn't it? It is. Finding the fit, yeah. One of my wisest friends said, a lot of my congregation have links with a certain church. Why would I try to compete with that? She said, what I'm doing is providing a high-quality morning tea conversation afterwards and we talk about things afterwards. And so they actually complement each other and mm. it's going really well at the moment. I think that's really wise. Yeah. Yes, and I think your comments before, Simon, about creating a virtual parish, as you said, where we all offer something a little bit different. Um, opens up so many possibilities, I think, for, for us as the church um, to encourage Christian community. Gail Allison. Um, I, I hope I can explain this clearly. It's kind of forming in my mind as I speak. I've been reading quite a bit of hospitality lately for some work I'm doing at college. Um, and I've also, it, it's joining up with comments I've been hearing from some friends um, who are irregular church attenders who um, have lately started Zooming in on a church gathering and they say, it's great, I can be in the comfort of my own home yes. and and worship. Mm -hmm. And what, what has occurred to me is how important it is to feel at home yeah. yes. and what a difference it can make when you're in your own space. Mm -hmm which for most of us, many of us, it's our home. For some of us, if we're really lucky, it's our church. <laughs> um, but it can be a park. It can be a... Yeah, yeah. But, like, to think about that as a dimension of what's going on in church um, that makes it hard for people to want to turn up <laughs> um, or makes people have an experience that's not quite, that makes them not want to come back. Yeah. And, and Al, I think your point's really well made in the sense too that for me the next question, therefore, if we're doing that well, if people are finding themselves feeling at home in the best sense of the word, how do we then build discipleship? How do we then build um, community in that best sense of what those words mean? How do we do that thing in the, as a community of faith to build people's faith and move them along? Yeah. Because, and I know you aren't saying this, we don't want them to become spectators. We want them to become participants. Yeah, 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 that's right. I mean, homes, yeah, we've got nice comfy couches and beds at home, but we've also got gardens and kitchens and 
you know, for a lot of us, our homes are our workplaces. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens in the home. And a mute button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one, one of the challenges that Saltbush has been thinking about too is the difference between creating community that worships together and consuming uh, something that might be sent to us. There's a bit of a danger of just becoming consumers of another product or uh, entertainment almost as worship um, and we surf, we surf around um, but where is it that actually grabs our attention and actually enables us to engage with each other and to wrestle with well, what does it mean to be followers of Christ in this point in time? I was talking this morning, Jeff, with somebody who was saying when they're recording their sermon on video, when they make a mistake, they start again. Mm. If you're preaching in a congregation, you make a mistake, you don't start again. You just soldier on through. <laughs> that perfection thing, mm. which is like, I've got to be perfect. Yeah. Well, who said that? Yeah. And, and when I'm preaching in a congregation, everyone <laughs> gets the fact that I make mistakes or I speak too fast on occasions or whatever. Everyone gets that. But on the video, oh, no, we'll start again. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, Julie, Julie, you're asking a question then about, um, so if people like being at home for church, what other virtual groups might they like to be part of? Mm. So, so this is the challenge. It, it, like I think COVID showing that, that people do want to participate in worship but they actually don't want to come to a building. So the chances are they probably don't want to come to Bible study groups or to the craft group or to, you know, whatever it is. So how do we then capture that I want to be part of something but I don't physically want it or I just don't have time or I've got kids asleep in the bedroom or whatever? Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we capture it and what does that then look like um, for us as a church, I reckon? Yeah. I think we've got to be, sorry. Come on, Phil. Go uh, for it. Uh, sorry, sorry, Phil. I, I, you go, Phil. You're on. I, I was just going to say, uh, I'm hearing a lot of what do we have to, what do we have to, what do we have to. Simple. Talk. Ask. Listen. Mm. We, 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 you know, like, it, it's, people have chosen to come. Let's get to know them, you know, talk to them. Yeah, we, we, we don't have to have all the answers. We just have to have to listen and they'll tell us what they want. Sorry, Maria. No, it's fine, Phil. I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> you still haven't come around for coffee, but anyway, that's all right. <laughs> well, I, I think, can I say too that um, if you want to, engage my friends in terms of the ones who are on the fringe of the life of the church. Inviting them to a walking worship thing wouldn't work for them at all. Invite them to a, a conversation about things that matter to them, sure. Invite them to an event that is focused on a community concern or an issue that which the church might have a voice on, absolutely. Um, uh, engage them with things that matter to them or to their kids or to their parents, that's where you want the conversation. And I'd want to say to you too, leave the Bible verses out. Yeah. 
have a conversation about why it's important to them and what matters and don't try to win them over, build the relationship with them. That's to me the, the worthwhile game. And I think um, it's no coincidence to me that the two couples who came along to worship in terms of engaging with things in the recent around me, one of them, her father died just recently after a long illness and the other one, um, he, they both had illness checks and stuff in recent times and the COVID thing has frightened them. Mm. It's no surprise to me they want to engage in conversation mm. and they don't want to have a for him sandwich. They want to have a conversation and that's part of what we're talking about. And I want to say the people that I know, and I know most people on this group, you're actually really good at that. You're actually really good at having those conversations. Do those things and that's where you begin to make your larger space more available. Yeah, okay. Anybody else busting to uh, have a say? So there's some good conversations on the side there. Ian uh, Hayward does. Ian Hayward second. does. Yeah. Jeff. Come on, Ian. Speaking. Uh, just recently been reading some stuff on Indigenous people burning country. Yeah. And one of the things that the guy is saying over and over and over <clears throat> is that you must learn to read the country. And that seems to me one of the things that's coming out of what we're saying here, that we do need to learn to read the people we meet. And I think different people have been saying that. And until we can read them, we can't know them. Yeah. And until we can know them, we can't engage them. So it, <clears throat> that would seem to me to be an important issue. But then coming, bringing the people like me who want to do that in terms of both landscape and relationship back into a, a worshipping community, somehow is it important then that <clears throat> within the people who come to worship, that we that we listen to each of those people and the conversations they've been having. How 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 important is that we just that we engage and make people feel that their contribution to our worship is important through what they're doing out there, reading what's happening in the community. Sometimes I think that's quite difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that, Ian, that's really helpful. And I think it comes back to that point I made, I tried to make earlier, which is about we seem to think we have this point of arrival and going, oh, we've done these things now, rather than these, these things actually take us time and they're continually building. We have to keep working at those things. And I, and I mean, yeah. if someone's worked out, I, I had to keep harping on these friends of mine that they can come to worship now online and there's something there that's important to them that they want to have known or to be known about or to have healed or to be engaged with or something. If they've taken 50 years to get there, you're not going to prize it out of them in 10 seconds. It's going to build a relationship and take your time and get to know them and do that. And perhaps they, in this is in my example, perhaps they now trust me but not with their life, just enough to come to worship now and maybe the next stage is how we build that relationship further, you know, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you, everyone. It's been uh, a wonderful conversation, I think, and, and really helpful to, you know, our ongoing series about uh, Christian community and how we might encourage that. Simon, I haven't pre-warned you, but I wonder whether you would like to pray for us and bless us on the way. Yeah. It would be my pleasure. So for the gift of this day, we give you thanks, our God. For the gift of your church, past and present and future, we give you thanks. For the lives and joys and brokenness and healing and wonderfulness that make up this your church, our God, we give you thanks and praise. Bless these folk gathered in the communities from which we come, the congregations in which we worship, the small groups and large groups in which we gather, the people we serve and who serve us and our families and our friends. And bless us, our God, for the task before us, to be your witnesses, to be servants of our community and those around us, to speak and sing of your presence in our world and to bear witness, our God, always to you, the crucified and risen Christ and the spirit who inspires us to know the words and to sing the songs and to dance the dance. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, everyone. Seeing you all again. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. That was great. joining us today for conversations in Christian community. Further podcasts are available on saltbushcommunity.uca.org.au website. Thank you for joining us for Salty Conversations. Bye for now.